0: everybody, welcome back to another episode of the, the Top D.A.T. Podcast. I am your Uplift Athlete Trainer, Dr. Brandon Holland.
1: And I am the unapologetic A.T., Dr. Donita Valentine. So excited to be here with our 12th and final episode of season two.
0: Yes, indeed. The season finale. We've been hanging on to this one for a minute, and uh I'm excited to finally get it out there. But before we go too far... I want to remind you to uh, don't forget to like, share, subscribe everywhere. You listen to this podcast um, at the top DAT podcast. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your coworkers, everybody. And also don't forget to follow us on all social media at the underscore top underscore DAT and on LinkedIn at top dash DAT and the number one top dash that one on LinkedIn. All right. So it's been a while. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, it has. A lot has been going on.
0: Yes, indeed. I'm excited to be back at it. So, um, let's let's talk about what's new in athletic training, real quick, before we go too far.
1: All right. So, this is the renewal period. You have until December 31st to renew your membership with NATA. And when you renew, that covers your state dues and your NATA dues. So, don't forget to do that before. December
0: 31st. Yes. Um, One of the things I've always been excited about with our profession is we do have a fairly high level of participation, at least percentage wise for um, the the number of professionals in our our, um, arena that participate in our national organization. So let's keep that up. Let's take it to the next level. Times have been tough, but we're working through it and we really need everybody's support to take this profession to the next level. So don't forget to renew. All right. We have some social media shout outs.
1: So actually our social media shout outs actually happened in person first.
0: They did. Um,
1: We were, Brandon and I uh, actually worked a tournament together, a showcase together this weekend, which is always fun to link back up with uh, my very first athletic training colleague, (laughs) colleague, Dr. Holland um, at she, she got game tournament in uh, Northern Virginia at the St. James. We ran into Lizbeth Alvarez. She is the athletic train assistant athletic trainer at South Grand Prairie High School in Texas. Um, she came over to tape one of her athletes and she looked at us and she said, did I see you all in Texas? You all look very familiar. And um, we were not Texas at, in Philly, Philly at yeah. NATA. And I said, I said, yeah, we were both there. I said, you might've seen us at, um, we did, we moderated the cannabis talk and, She recognized Dr. Holland. She said, the Top That Podcast. And we were like, yes, yes, we do Top That Podcast. So that was a super awesome, amazing feeling and experience to meet someone who (laughs) recognized us through the Top That Podcast. So that was really cool. And then we also met uh, Joel from the Health Institute, and he is on Kingston Road in Ontario, Canada. So another very cool uh, meeting, um, very Pleased to meet another brother in the profession, Mr. Joel. So lots of great things coming up uh, from both Lizbeth and Joel. We're going to reach out and link up with them in, in some other ways here very soon. So very cool. Very pleased to have met you both.
0: Yes, indeed. Dr. Joel has a Dr. Joel's a chiropractor who uh, specializes in, um, in movement. He's a he's a much more exercise oriented chiropractor than, than many that I've experienced. Not to say that no one's doing it. But um, he's not really a passive kind of lay you down and crack your back kind of, which is nothing wrong with that. But it's, it's awesome because we a lot of what we do is is uh, involved with movement and a lot of what we do overlap. So I'm excited. He's doing some great things up there with the Health Institute. And he has a, a podcast dropping soon. So um, when it dr- when it does, we'll be sure to push it out. We're going to bump it. So um, and it was, it was really cool that Elizabeth recognizes. Wait a minute. I just thought about something. Does that does that officially make us celebrities?
1: Famous, we, we are famous. <laughs> <laughs> We're famous.
0: That is awesome. Someone
1: so, recognized us, other than Vondra Valentine, who is my mother.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is cool. That is so cool. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, that's great. We have a we have one heck of an episode today. Something I was super excited to um take part in, not because of the topic. The topic is a really difficult topic to discuss, but um just uh that the people involved are willing to get the word out about things that need to happen to protect folks is um it's really important to us. So um we uh you wanna should we how should we do this? Should we just introduce our guests and then
1: go ahead and go through the bios okay. and then get right to it. Okay. All right, so I'll start off um, introducing our first guest. Uh, we have two very special guests today. Um, we have Mr. Martin McNair of the Jordan McNair Foundation. Mr. McNair is a loving father and thought leader and founder of the Jordan McNair Foundation. The loss, the untimely loss of his son, Jordan McNair, due to an exertional heat related Injury on the first day of conditioning drills at spring football practice in May of 2018 motivated Mr. McNair to turn his pain into a purpose by bringing awareness and education about this 100% preventable illness. Martin's sense of advocacy is one that he acted on as one of the co executive directors of Mikasa and Sukasa, which is a behavioral health program in Baltimore, Maryland. He co-founded this uh, with uh, his partner um, to focus on the mental health and substance abuse treatment for citizens re-entering society, basically, um, who are trying to get back on track um, in a city in the height of an opioid crisis. He is also the creator and the host of the Restoring My Dignity Project podcast, um, which is a journalistic project where Martin and his guests discuss reentry resources, substance abuse treatment, and mental health support in Baltimore City, educating and empowering reentering citizens to reduce their recidivism and restore their dignity. Mr. McNair is also a motivational speaker who loved his son, Jordan, and always taught his son to be a better person than his father. Growing up in Baltimore City without many positive male role models, Martin learned the misinformed rites of passage into a man from his friends who had as little information as he did. Martin's goal was always to be the best example and role model of manhood and father to his son, Jordan. He taught Jordan to be a leader and and the significance of making good decisions always at an early age. Martin realized while teaching his son to be his best, he was preparing his father to save lives through his journey.
0: Wow. Very excited. Uh, please welcome to the to the show, uh, Mr. Mark McNair. Also, we have uh, Mr. Andrew Isaacs. Coach Isaacs, as he's known, um, is originally from Manchester, Connecticut, and he's currently the athletic director at Kip Legacy High School in southeast Washington, D.C. Coach Isaacs is a former member and student athlete of the Big Ten. Uh, he was a Big Ten fellow at University of Maryland, uh, where he studied communications and business management He's also a local media superstar as a radio host of WBGR Sports Network. Uh, He was tabbed as the top player in Connecticut by Rivals, a four-star recruit, and uh, ninth-rated tight end. He ranked as a three-star recruit by ESPN.com, 24-7 Sports, and Scout.com. He's a two-time All-State and All-Conference honoree. Isaacs is named a 2012 Walker Camp All-State All-State team as a tight end, and he served as the team captain his junior and senior year in his high school. He also totaled uh, 32 receptions for 445 yards and five touchdowns, and he was a defensive end. He played both sides of the ball, Uh, recorded 103 tackles and uh, 10 sacks. On top of all this, Andrew also played basketball as a freshman and sophomore. He received a Tim Travis award as the team's top junior in 2011 as a college athlete as appeared in over 20 games, playing both tight end and defensive line. Coach Andrews has three siblings, Chris KJ and Kari. And here's a fun fact about him. He's a former, um, he's related to former Olympian and captain of the 1996 U S Olympic team, Lawrence clay Bay. And he hosts his own radio show, uh, radio talk show called Fourth and Inches and um, he also has a social media video series called Cooking with Drew. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Mr. Andrew Isaacs. Also along with uh, Mr. Mark McNair, please welcome them both to the show. All right, everybody, we have two uh, very special guests on today at the Top DAT Podcast. We have Mr. Marty McNair and Mr. Andrew Isaacs. Uh, here to talk about a very, very tough topic. And uh, I want to first and foremost thank you both for joining us on the show today. Um, I know it's been some time, but I, I can't imagine it just gets easier. To, uh, maybe it does get easier with time, but either way, either way, it's still not easy. Easier doesn't mean easy. So just grateful to have you here. Um, and we just want to jump right into your story.
1: Um, so Mr. McNair has also written a book. Um it's titled Um Can my, can my child Can play. My Child Play? Um the questions we should have asked Um and it's it basically outlines um, Jordan McNair's life um even before <coughs> Jordan became uh a human being. Right. Um uh, Mr. McNair had been He in the story in his book, he does a great job of presenting the juxtaposition of his life um, while he was growing up. And um, he puts it over he lays it over top of Jordan's and kind of he kind of talks about his path um, to sobriety, getting clean um, and his advocacy um, for people who are also following along in that same path, um, helping them. So he was already an advocate in that respect. Um, And then with the tragic and untimely loss of his son, um, he picked up another uh, uh, thing to be passionate about and to advocate for. And he's done a great job. This is a book that anyone involved in athletics um, as a a coach, um, an athletic trainer, um, a parent, a a student, an athlete should read. Um, It is very enlightening. Um, uh, It's, it was interesting. It's interesting. I listened to it on all audible. Um, it was an interesting listen to me for me um, as I thought about my career as an athletic trainer. So I want to thank you for sh- um, creating that uh, piece and sharing that with the world. So if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and, and how it relates um, to your uh, your current uh, Jordan McNair Foundation.
2: Yeah, well, basically, thanks for having me. Um, Basically, you know, you just said it. Like, everything that I kind of went through in my life, you know, really kind of literally, like, led me up until this point. So, really, like, um, you know, I was very, very, you know, I, I basically I was very passionate about the work that I do um, or that I I was, you know, involved with at that time. And, you know, basically, like you just said, you know, I was a guy from, you know, in the city of Baltimore, uh, grew up in the 80s and just kind of went through, you know, like, literally – I was pretty much every statistic, but dead in a sense, you know, by the, you know, luckily I graduated high school, I went to college, but, you know, I came up in the eighties and it was just like, you know, really with that misinformed rights of passage and a manhood, I wanted to go to the prison before I wanted to get a college degree. And, you know, unfortunately that was like really where, um, uh, fortunately that's really where I grew up at, you know, really not from any physical perspectives, anything like about physical experiences, just from a mental perspective. And the interesting thing, I was looking at something the other day and, you know, really like I, I just noticed how everybody saw me in a different light where I, as opposed to where I saw myself. And I can remember just like really, you know, when I got to prison, it was just like, you know, we we had a each dorm had a basketball team. And I remember like I became the basketball coach like immediately, like the coach they had, they just the players weren't listening to him. It's just typical, you know, stuff where you got this type of energy or this type of uh Uh, male bravado in these in these environments so at that point basically it just went from being the basketball coach to the dorm representative to being the inmate council president over the whole prison at that time so really I always had some leadership experiences and one thing I know as bad as I wanted to get to prison so I thought I knew very from my very first um, my very first visit that was my very first epiphany I think of my life And I just realized, like, wait a minute, this ain't everything that I thought it would be. And it was like, you know, luckily, I didn't have a whole lot of time. Uh, I did like three years. But really, it was like, you know what, all I needed was some time to really get myself together to grow up and, you know, really start making some realistic decisions about my life. And at that point, you know, it was just more so for me, like, I really took an opportunity to really get in touch with all of my childhood trauma at the time, you know, through some mental health classes and substance abuse courses and things like that. Because, you know, really i kind of battled with addiction. So that wasn't my first time in jail. That was my first time in prison. So every time I would go to prison, I never used while I was in jail, but every time I came home, you know, I would go back to the same environment, expecting a different result. And at that time, I just didn't really have any resources to do anything different. So, you know, what you wound up doing, you wound up doing the same old thing. And, um, you know, when I finally got around that, I came home and it was basically like I never looked back because I had a plan, and I just knew I really wanted more for my life in a sense. And it's interesting because I remember um, I met a good friend of mine in prison, and he was a uh, staff member, right? And it's interesting. I'm a, I'm a faithful guy, and you know I'm 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 Muslim, so I'm very very you know uh, firm in my in my my belief system and my faith, and I think that everything that happens you know, a lot of it is already written out already in life. You know, I'm just a firm believer in that. Even, you know, my experience is Jordan's experience. I thought, you know, I'm a firm believer, like, hey, you know what, you know, Jordan's, Jordan's mission was what Jordan's mission was, whether it was 19 years, it could have been 20 years or whatever, but obviously the impact that we've made since his passing. But as the buildup to that was everything that I was doing in regards to my own experiences was prim- primarily leading me up to this Uh, even regarding my advocacy. And, you know, I was just passionate about reentering citizens, mental health, substance abuse, things like that. And when Jordan passed, it was like an easy trajectory change for me. You know, it wasn't a trajectory change that I personally chose, but I was already aligned for this. So it was like almost to the point where I was like, wow, Jordan, you know, everything that I thought that I was trying to be just a good example for him, you know, just being a good public speaker. I used to drag Jordan to Toastmasters you know, Toastmasters clubs with me and Toastmasters competitions, not out of, I just wanted to show him a better way, give him more of a skill set or more tools for life that I had, you know, so a lot of these things were just really that. I never thought I'd use it, use it. So, again, when Jordan passed, it was just like the transition was like right there. So when people that didn't know, hadn't seen me in a while, they were like, bro, you speak so, you know, you speak elegantly. You're a great public speaker, but I had been, it for eight years prior, you know what I mean? Like, right. Mm-hmm. Just trying to be an example of him. I never thought I would use it. I never thought I would really have a, a voice of advocacy from a national perspective. But I was just really, I think that God, and and this was all a part of the plan. So um, when this happened, it was just like, wow, you know, like really, you know, like I didn't ask for this, but, you know, who at. You know what they say. You want to make God laugh. Show Him what you tell Him what your plans, plans are, right. And see what you get back from that. You know what I mean? Because
1: we're yeah, yeah. always trying to figure things out that He always. already has figured out, and so
2: oh man, always. You
1: spoke about environment. Um, you also speak a lot about Jordan's light before he was even on this earth, um, because you were thinking sure. about that, um, especially once you realized that you wanted to live a life of sobriety. And you were determined to be on that path. And once you found out that you were going to be a father with five years of sobriety under your belt, you were completely, and yeah, yeah. you were ready for that task and you were looking yeah. forward to, and you were already right. planning on how you could help Jordan make better decisions. Cause you, that's what you were thinking. Sure. That the, the book is all about making good decisions. Good decisions yes. And Mr. Yeah. McNair, like by through design, you know, was learning how to show his son, you know, the difference. Like, this is what happens when you make poor decisions. And he drilled that into him, and he really laid the foundation for Jordan. And he just talks a lot about, you know, his gap tooth smile um, and how he was such a beacon of light and how Mr. McNair worked so hard to protect that from the moment he went. Like, even when he had to go to nursery school for the first time, he was kind of like, no, nah, I'm not having it. Like, you know, like <laughs> he wanted to protect him, right. you know, and it just, it just, it spoke to me as an athletic trainer because you do every, like he did everything right, you know, yeah. in, in terms of telling his son what to look out for, like the pitfalls growing up in Baltimore. He you know, was very instrumental in what school he attended and very instrumental in Going to his games and attending his games, Jordan actually started out as a basketball player Mm -hmm. and found football later. And um, so speaking of environment, when you took um, Jordan, because uh, University of Maryland wasn't his first choice. I believe he wanted to go to the Ohio State. Yep. Okay. And so University of Maryland kind of like kind of slid in, you know, on the the back end. And so um, what was um, his environment like as a football player? um in high school and then how was what was the environment like um when he when you first took him to University of Maryland
0: can I actually um I I I would like if it's okay though um to get we want to catch Andrew and um you can tell us a little bit about your background also so that everyone knows who the people are um who are on the podcast so you can just jump in and where you want to start and
3: Oh, I mean well, if we're talking about environment from, from high school standpoint, um I can go ahead and go from there oh, sure. and kind of explain how I've gotten to Maryland from here. Okay. Um, so I'm actually from Connecticut. Um, born and raised. Um and I lived there for a long, long period of time and I played football at Manchester High School, a small public school um in central Connecticut. Um, not known for sports at all. Right? Like then really truthfully I, I had no intention of being a a number one rated player in Connecticut, no intention of being um, even a football player, very similar to Jordan. I, I grew up playing basketball with my friends, and I just wanted the opportunity to just play something organized. And found out that hey, on the basketball team, you're pretty athletic, you jump pretty high, you got decent height, but you're not gonna be six eight. So how about you try to play football because you probably could be pretty good at tight end. I was like, all right, cool, whatever. And like most kids, you you tend to do things that people tell you that you're good at or you're interested in. Um, and the more people told me I was good and the more that I saw it, I was getting good at it I started focusing on it so started playing football um and in terms of like I said my school is a very very new school when it came to athletics like it wasn't a lot of um top high profile players coming out of there so when we started getting attention everybody really didn't know what to do we were kind of like oh well go look at this school go look at this school go do this and so um I never forget it me and my brother we were um like, as I'm, as I'm getting recruited, different schools are talking to me, and he's, like, trying to ask me, he's like, hey, what do you think about what schools you're going to go to? And we're watching, like, Maryland play Miami. It was 2010, I believe. Well, no, 2011, because it was when they unveiled the pride jerseys. So we're watching the game, and I just, I'm just i just watching. Like, the, the crowd is packed. Everyone's enjoying the game. They beat Miami. And at the time, the All About the U um, documentary had just came yep. out. So, like, oh, I'm, like, definitely rooting for Miami. But then I see Maryland beats them, and I'm looking at my brother, and I'm like, yo, Kari, I'm about to go to school there. He's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so, <laughs> so fast forward, um, I'm, like, I'm, I'm working, I'm training. Um, I end up getting an offer from Maryland, which is another story for another day. But when I end up getting the offer, um, signing day approaches. And my, little, my older brother just staring at me the whole time during signing day. And I'm looking at him I'm like, what's up, Kari? What's going on? He's like, bro, you really said you were going to go there and you're signing your letter of intent. Like, how did you know? And I'm I'm listening to, uh, to Mr. McNair talk, and he's saying, like, there's always something that's, like, like things are written before it's supposed to happen. Right. right. And, like, at that moment, I'm looking at him like, dog, this, this is supposed to happen regardless. So, like, <laughs> it didn't really matter, like, what I said or what was going on. Like, we were supposed to be here. So um, I say that to say um, I ended up coming to Maryland. Um, I go to Maryland, played football there, um, and, unfortunately, um, had a couple injuries. Um, and then uh, after those injuries, I kind of – my thought process changed in terms of what I wanted to do and what I wanted to become. Um, of course you go to thinking you're going to be an NFL player. Um, and then you have knee injury and that changes very quickly. So then during that process, I'm thinking about what are things that I, I enjoyed, what are things that I really wanted to do. I did a lot of volunteering, working with a lot of students, working with a lot of student athletes. Um, and then I started reflecting on like my own high school experience and realizing that, um, some of the best times and some of the people I had the close connections with were my coaches, um, and my athletic director. So I'm, I'm finish up early because, again, I go to school with the intention of, hey, I'm not going to if I'm going to the league, I'm not going to be one of the guys who go to the league who don't have a degree. So I'm making sure that I come in and I know I have all the classes I need to take so I can graduate in two and a half to three years. So that way, my third year, my junior year, I'll be a baller. I can leave again, get hurt, but I'm still on trajectory to graduate. So now I've graduated academically. I'm a senior, but athletically, I'm a redshirt sophomore. Two years, I finish a degree. What do I do? get a master's degree mm-hmm. so the question is like okay what do I get my master's in do I do an education do I do it in um like sports science like what do I want to do at first I was going to do education but then um one of my advisors was like well if you do education kind of going to get pigeonholed in education it's kind of hard to like maneuver out of it so they were like well what about business that's kind of more flexible you can do other things with it and I was like all right cool I'll do business so I start the first year doing it but as I'm in it I realized like hey I don't know if I want to work in corporate America so what can I do to, like, flip this business degree into something that I really want to do? And that's when I start looking up athletic directing. And to me, it's the exact same thing. Like, you're running a, a business, but it's just for sports. So from there, I finish up my degree, um, and that becomes my goal to become an athletic director. And then, um, again, when it goes back to things that are, are supposed to happen before they happen, I realize, like, this role has now given me opportunity to impact people way more than I ever could have dreamed. Um I, on a daily basis, I'm working with athletes who didn't plan on being athletes and now they're taking it serious. I'm working with people who are athletes who are taking it serious, but have no idea how to take it to the next level. So I'm over here using my expertise, using my knowledge that I've learned from Maryland, that I've learned through experiences, and I'm helping them become the most successful versions of themselves. Um, so that's really a quick introduction to me. <laughs> um, obviously, there's a lot more <laughs> to it than that, but um, that's where my, um, my expertise comes from and that's where I, I am. And awesome. so,
1: when you were a redshirt sophomore, mm-hmm. that was when, is, was that the year you met Jordan? So, or?
3: I met Jordan my sophomore season. No, 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 my My senior season. Because Jordan came in, I believe he was a class of 2016, correct? That was the class. Seven, 17, 2017. Yeah. 17, yeah. yeah. So, if he came in 17, that was my, my last season. Okay. So, it, it was funny because when he came in, he was um, obviously freshman lineman, highly talented lineman, um, very, very... Great technically, like his, his size obviously was great, but like he had really, really great technique. And I had heard about this McDonough school because we had another teammate on our school um on jo- our team, Josh Woods, and then we had Ellis McKinney who came from there. Both very bright, very technical players. And Ellis
1: like, McKinney is was Jordan's best friend.
2: Well, I'm gonna tell you, uh <laughs> you know, El- Ellis and Jordan had a um man, again. Like like Andrew just said, I mean, like I, I'm kind of getting chill bumps because. Ellis and Jordan played on the same five, seven flag football. Right. Wow. And Jordan was, Jordan, Ellis was the the quarterback. So the McKinney's lived down the street from us, from Nick Jordan and his mom at that time. So, uh, you know, like they were always, and when you look at it by, you know, again, nothing happens by happenstance. They were always like around. And the interesting thing was, so Ellis was like, like, uh, Andrew just said, Ellis was always a smart guy. Like, Skip the grade, maybe a couple grades. So even when Ellis got to Maryland, he was only 17 at that time, you know. Mm-hmm. So he was like, you know, intellectually, he's always been a smart kid. And i had always, so when Ellis, when Jordan got to McDonough, I always told Ellis, like, bro, just look out for Ellis. Because Ellis was always a mature guy. Like, just look out for him. Same way when he got to Maryland, Ellis look out for him. So that was their type of relationship where it was like, Jordan had his group of friends, but Ellis and I kind of saw eye to eye where it was like, bro, keep your, you know. So it was more like a big brother type scenario in a sense, you know. um, But it was always like, bro, look out. Just keep an eye on him because obviously you've been here, you got here before he did, and, you know, just showing the ropes or whatever the case. And and it's interesting because when everything kind of went down, who was the first kid to speak up? Ellis. So he literally was like everything I'd ever asked him to do, bro, look out for him. When it went down, obviously, you know, and I'm sure we'll get in it. I don't want to put the cards before the horse, but again, you know, who stepped up? Is the person I've been asking all along to just kind of keep an eye on him? Yeah. yeah, no, yeah. like
3: I, like I said, those are, those two are like really, like he, he mentioned, really sharp kids, really really great kids. Um, and, and it's funny. So I my senior year, I ended up moving positions. I came initially was recruited as a tight end. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I had the injury. When I came back, we had got some new coaches. That's when DJ Durkin and his staff had came in. Um, And they had a meeting with me and they're like, look, Andrew, we're going to be honest with you. You're not the same athlete that you were when you first came in. Um, The injury has a lot to do with that. But the reality is you're very strong. You're very smart. You're a phenomenal member of this team. You're a leader. We want to keep you here. We don't want you to transfer. We want you to leave out. We want you to stay. But unfortunately, we we have a void at defensive end, and we would like for you to switch positions. What do you think about that? So at first I'm like, eh, I don't know. Like I'm at this time I'm six three, I'm like two forty. I'm not. That's not Big Ten defensive end, right? Like I'm. <laughs> those guys are big guys. But he's he's like, nah, mean, He's like, trust me. Like all you gotta do is gain a little bit of weight. Like you'll you'll be fine. Switch the switch is gonna work. So I was like, all right, cool, whatever. I'm already in grad school. Have friends here. Have like relationship here. And truthfully, and this is what I tell all athletes. Like outside of Maryland being like a good chance for me to play football wise, I always viewed this as a place that like if all else failed, I would live here. And obviously, I have. So I was like, I'm not trying to go transfer to, like, South Dakota or Maine or something like that just so I can play my senior year. Like, I'll just play. So I switched positions. And, again, like I said, this is when all the freshmen come in. So, obviously, I'm at the bottom of the defensive end depth chart. So we're doing one-on-ones. And, of course, since I'm at the bottom, I have to go against all of the people at the bottom of the offensive line depth chart. In comes Jordan McNair. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking. I'm like, all right, this is a freshman. I'm about to, you know, I'm about to get my, my thing on. I'm good to go, right? So we line up. I'm looking at him I'm like oh. I've seen him do a couple reps, and I remember like I knew he played basketball, so I knew he had pretty decent feet. So I'm like, all right, maybe if I can get to the edge of him, I'll be all right. <laughs> my uh, my my hand and feet weren't as fast as I thought they were. Let's just <laughs> let's just say that. They, hey, that bro, you, that,
1: that, they, Mr. Hey,
2: McNair, hey, talked about those that footwork a lot <laughs> in that book. Hey, hey, bro, you just was you just was an injured, you know you just was an injured veteran at that time. After that was, you know, and look, you already. You already had life after mm-hmm. football playing, so it wasn't a big deal at that point. Yeah, no, nah.
3: no, we we had we had some pretty we had some pretty decent battles, but like I said, yeah, um, right. great great kid. Um, he just definitely he always like like you said he just did the right things, right? Like if you if yeah. you could imagine what you would want a freshman athlete to come and be like, he was joyful, we had fun, but he also he, he came in and worked, and that's why I think truthfully he had an opportunity to play early, um, and that's why he, he's on the travel squad with us. He he did everything, and it, like his trajectory was, was for me seemed amazing. So um. Obviously, what happened was unfortunate, and uh, that's what we're talking about. But nah, it's yeah. I've only, I've had only positive experiences with that young man.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: So we were getting ready to get into the environment um, and how how an environment might affect uh, an athlete's willingness to to speak on their own behalf or to seek help. And so.
3: that I think so. With that, right, is it, it's it's twofold because it's like as me in that scenario, I had been through essentially three coaching changes, right? right. Like I, I've had – I came in, Randy Etzel was initially my mm-hmm. recruiter, um, and that's who I played for for two seasons. He had got fired right after the Ohio State game of 2014 or 15, one of those years. And then in comes Loxley, who's the interim coach, who then becomes another head coach for me. He has a completely different culture from what's going on. And then after that, they hired Durkin. Three different cultures in five years, right? So depending on, like, what your coach's values are, depending on what, the, like, they're communicating to their other players and their coaches – that determines, like, what you're going to do. And it also depends on, like, the year you – like, what, how old you are, right? Like, as a freshman, truthfully, I, I wouldn't say anything. Like, whatever the coach told me to do, whatever our, our, the older people told us to do, that's what I was following. right? Like, regardless of if I deemed it right, wrong, or indifferent, I'm like, hey, this is this how college football is supposed to go. So when you get guys like, yelling at you, you get guys trying to push you, when you get guys doing all this other stuff, you're like, well, I mean, I guess it's college football. But then as you get older, as you get, I guess, some more respect, you get some more understanding – like when things cross the line, you're like, hey, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah you, I don't know who you're talking to or who, who you think you're like dealing with. Like, don't get me wrong, like, I'm for this team, but like, I'm a man as well. So I think um, that part um, plays a huge role, I guess, your, your mental maturity in terms of like how, how you're, like, what you're willing to stand for. But then also, like, the culture of athletics during the time as well is like, hey, we got to work through this. Like, if you're if you're hurt, if you're not feeling it, like it's it's if you're not working through it, you're you're weak right, right. now, right? And I think now, um, what Mr. McNair has done such a phenomenal job is bring advocacy to is recognizing that, like, no, it's not like there's actual science saying like if you're tired and you're not feeling well, you're tired, you're not <laughs> feeling well, you're not. It's not. I'm not. I'm not trying to complete the workout, so I'm not trying to do X, Y, and Z. Or just because he's doing it doesn't mean that I have to do it as well. It's no, there's real things. So I think, um. The, the biggest thing is obviously bringing education to it, but then also teaching a lot of these young men, like, hey, if I don't, I'm not feeling it, I can speak up. And regardless of what a coach thinks about your your character, like, that's technically irrelevant. Right. <laughs> like, what's more important is am I healthy and can I compete? And if you can't do either of those things, the coach wouldn't care. So why should you care about what they think about you if they wouldn't care if you can't compete for them anyway? Wow.
1: And so how did – for you, was it different high school going into – I mean, you did just say, like, it, it, it's different.
3: I, th- I think the difference in high school for me was is just the level of, like, like com- competitiveness, right? Like, in, in high school, I obviously top-rated player in the area. Um, some of my teammates – personally, I thought some of my teammates were better than me, but that's another conversation. But I didn't, it wasn't like it was a lot of, like, Division One talent on the field. So, like, if I'm not trying my hardest – Nobody knows I'm not trying my hardest because I'm still better than you. Right. <laughs> so whereas, like, when you get to a higher level competition, like, if you're loafing or if you're, you're not doing what you're supposed to do, it's obvious. You know what I'm saying? So, like, at, because of that, like, you, you're, you're, there's pressures that you put on yourself as an athlete and as a competitor to make sure you're literally doing the best you possibly can. But also there's pressures from your coaches. There's pressures from the medical staff, pressures from everybody to make sure, like, hey, if you, we want you to compete. So you need to compete. Keep going. And we recognize that, like, the, the slogan is your best ability is availability. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you can't be out there, then we can't evaluate you. So, like, that pressure in and of itself forces you to do, like, that's the culture that is created then. Versus, like, in high school, it doesn't matter. I'm the best player. So <laughs> if, if the, the goal is to make sure that I'm comfortable so that way I can still be the best player as opposed to, like, hey, you need to be out there no matter what. And keep working, keep working, keep working, regardless of what the scenario is. So I think that's, to me, the biggest difference is between high school athletics in college athletics. Um, and then it's funny because when you get to pro, it goes kind of back to like the high school, right? Like, Or it's like, hey, you're the best player, so relax. You don't need to practice today or you don't need to do anything today. Like, we'll use you on game day. You're good enough. And I think, not to say that we, we shouldn't be teaching college athletes, like, to try and, I guess, fight through some stuff or try to, like, learn what adversity is, but I think also it's important to recognize what your limits are. Yeah, it should and be tempered
0: with common sense. Exactly, yeah. you yeah. know what I'm saying?
3: Like, it's, it's it's crazy to think that, like, there's professionals who medical professionals who understand this stuff better than the athletes and it would allow an athlete to continue to do stuff knowing that like this isn't um they shouldn't be continuing. So that's where I think the difference is between like high school and college.
1: Mr. McNair is shaking his um in agreement, shaking his head in agreement. Um, uh, hey.
2: Yeah, I mean Brandon, Brandon made a very he I mean, he just you know, I'm the guy that I'm the guy that, you know, I learned so much more because uh, I, I, I'm a student of everybody because, you know, a lot of times, uh, coming from a parent and an advocate perspective, like really, you know, I look at it from, you know, a student athlete, a student athlete's lens. I look at it from an athletic trainer's lens, you know, and it looks different to all of us, right. to be honest with you. But one of the things that I go back to, like, like Brandon just made us some very, very good points, you know, like the game of football never stops because somebody died, somebody got injured. No no, no snaps stopped as a result of that. And I tell kids this on a regular basis. But one of the main things for me was one of the big things when Jordan got, when he first got hurt, you know, of course, I was telling somebody yesterday, like I was literally optimistic till maybe Jordan passed on June the 13th. I was optimistic June the 11th, like, you know, but that's a parent's love for their child. At the end of the day, you you know, your faith or whatever, you think your child is going to bounce back with that. He may not play football again, but we can get through this. But the point that I'm making is what I realized was, you know, as a father, it was my fault because I kept saying, what did I teach him, right? What did I miss? And those were like some of the questions that I just kept repetitively asking myself. But the main thing was, you know, like Brandon, you just said, you know, a lot of times either you're going to grow into self-advocacy after the fact, or to me, I think self-advocacy needs uh, needs to be, those seeds need to be planted when you're a baby, when you're a young athlete, you know, and they need to be planted by your parents. So for me, you know, I just raised Jordan to be a coachable, a coachable athlete, like whatever coach says goes. So your, your dynamic or your experience, Brandon was, you had a very, like you and the rest of Ellis and the older guys had a, a, a total different experience because you had three different cultures, three different cultures of coaches where Jordan came in. All they had was the culture that was at that time. So a lot of that stuff seemed like okay, this is just the norm. You know, we can't work out here. We got the pit over here, and all these different things. Versus, you know, you had Edsel, you had Locks. You know what I mean? And now you got to deal with this. And you know, one of the things that um, I'm going to steal another uh, another uh, college coach's uh, head coach's comment here. A lot of times, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And if you don't have kids buying into culture, man, strategy is a is a waste of it's a waste of concept. And when you have that, when you have, like you said, you had three different experiences. So when a lot of parents were calling me at that time, like, you know, say something, can you say something, please? And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm the one with the dead kid over here. What you mean you want me to say something? Why wasn't you saying that when your kid was calling home crying, talking about they can't do this no more? But what do we do as parents? Oh, tough it out. It'll be okay. It'll be this. It'll be that. But in reality, they knew what they were talking about. Mm-hmm. Their cry or their pleas for help were realistic because again, they knew that, wait a minute, Etchel, you know, Coach Edsel may not have been the best, lots may have been better, but these guys right here, oh no, nah, this is foreign. You know, and it was kind of like, you know, hey, you know, even you, you wanna you going to tough it out or not. But like, you know, as Brandon just said, I mean, you can't get a, a uncut description of it as as well he's just described. All
0: right. So, um, it's already getting tough. Yeah. To talk about. <laughs> oh, man. Um, and I, this is, diff- this is tricky, um, because I, I want to remain respectful, but there's so much powerful information, um, in this, uh, in this event that I think <coughs> is gonna change the way some people operate. And that's the goal is to get good information that people can use sure. so they can, they can make the best decisions. Um, sure. So, if we could we already alluded to a little bit, but um uh, could you could you walk us through a little bit of the day um the day that, that it happened that Jordan fell ill with the illness yeah.
2: yes, yeah, so i had um i had um uh, man i i usually when I talk to kids, you know when I just tell our story, I usually tell people the last time I spoke to Jordan was uh uh may twenty eighth of two thousand eighteen um literally, I, I just came back from Cuba that weekend. I'm sending them pictures from Cuba the whole nine. And I knew practice started at, that Tuesday. And, you know, basically it was just like, son, you know, I know practice starts tomorrow. Uh, Tanya was taking them back to school. I think they had started to get something to eat. It was like, bro, I know practice starts tomorrow. Um, you know, I had a good week. You know, how you feeling? He's like, I'm good. Jordan was, Jordan was a guy, very, very, very few words. Like he was a one-liner type guy to the utmost, Sorry. right? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good, Dad. You know, I'm good. Okay, we'll hit me later in the week. So I remember that Tuesday, I'm at my mom's. I'm sitting over my mom's. I'm sitting in the kitchen talking to her, and um, I got a call, and the call was like, Mr. McNair, this is uh, 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 so-and-so from the campus police department, New University of Maryland campus police department. Um, Jordan had a seizure uh, with Washington Adventist Hospital, something to that effect. So by this time, I'm, like, out the door at this point. So I'm in route to grab Tanya and, you know, trying to keep her calm because my, in my mind, you know, really not my mind, but, you know, Jordan had been a healthy guy. Like, he had never been in the hospital for anything. Always had sports injuries, like always a slight tear in his Achilles because he grew quick. And his probably body grew quicker than his muscles or skeletal system or something like that. So he would always have those types of injuries. Like earlier, you know, but when he got to high school, got into like a weight regiment, a weightlifting program, like the injuries were, you know, very like non-existent at that point. So I'm not really pushing a panic button that much, but it's like trying to keep his mom calm. It's like, let's just get here. I'm the guy that like, I need to get there first, then I'll make an assessment for myself. Mm -hmm. So we got to Washington Adventist. I came in kind of asking questions of uh, athletic trainers, Wes Robinson. I think the other guy was Steve Norval. So I was like, hey, you know, had this ever happened? I don't even know what happened yet. So I'm thinking seizure, mm-hmm. right, that he did have a seizure. I don't know the reason behind the seizure. Mm-hmm. So he was like, "Nah, this never happened to us before. So I'm saying, okay, cool. So literally we went from, um, we went from, um, uh, we literally went from uh healthy kid. We stayed the night. So Jordan was in a band suit at this point. So a band suit is like, we they trying to court, um, Get your core body temperature down. Mm-hmm. And all this was new to me. I had never heard of rhabdomyolysis, anything, any of these medical terms. Um, so we spent the night at the hospital. The name was like, well, we're going to airlift him to uh, University of Maryland shock trauma. All right, bet. So when we get there to the hospital, you know, he airlifted Jordan. Uh, Tanya, and I met down there. And um, our very first conversation with the first doctor we spoke to, she just was, like, very, very blunt. Like, he is very sick. You know, like she said it multiple times in this one conversation. So, for me, I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like, oh, oh, okay, I got that. But what happened? Nobody's really alluding to heat stroke yet. So, heat stroke may have came up like it was a heat-related injury. But in my mind, I thought that uh, uh, when you had a heat stroke, and I'm using heat stroke loosely now, I mean loosely then, I had no idea that, you know, basically you got too much sun, you overheated, and you just went in the shade and got some some cold water, and that was it never realized like the magnitude or how tragic that these type of injuries really could be if ignored, you know, because mm-hmm. nobody goes with zero to heat stroke. You literally go from heat exhaustion and if those signs and symptoms are ignored, then it goes to heat stroke. And then if it's, if it's continuously ignored, once you go past that 30 minute window, 20 to 30 minute window, damage is irreparable. So fast forward, you know, like a couple of days, this is, Tuesday it happened with shock trauma. Wednesday, Thursday, they had somebody came up to me and mentioned something about a, a liver transplant, but we can get it. We got a, a, a higher pool of uh, livers if we get a liver with hepatitis C. So I'm like, damn, wait a minute. A liver? Like, oh, this train is moving fast. I would come home, and I'm researching, researching, researching all night. You know, what a, what's the functions of the liver? Um, uh, over 300 functions, like, uh, hepatitis C like I was I owned a drug treatment facility so I mean a lot of people came through my facility with hepatitis C yeah but still like you hep C you know, that's just some people you know you're using substances depending on how you use that's just a common a common um, disease or infection you can get so at that point I'm just doing all my research I'm looking at the life expectancy of a person with a successful liver transplant all these things I'm just getting a crash course in all these things. So Friday morning comes around, and basically uh, they pulled Tanya and I again and basically was like, look, you know, if we don't make a decision right now, Jordan's going to be dead within 12 hours. Like, okay, do what you got to do, get a liver. So at this point, you know, like really, you know, we just kind of, you know, in a lot of prayer at that point. You know, our family, I mean, it's so many people in the hospital. It's literally like, I mean, it's it's mind-blowing. They had to give us a whole floor of just well wishes and supporters now i do the air quotes because of well wishes and at that time the coaching staff was coming down there and um you know really like you know they they, they you think that it's genuine right now my uh my business partner his son we all his son was a Mcdonough guy too and you know we still connected to the coach at mcDonough and he pulled me to the side he said bro what they saying what happened ain't what happened and i'm like what you mean and he sent so Ellis had sent the text to the head coach there and was like, man, and again, three different versions, but here's the emotional 19-, 20-year-old teammate version of what happened, right? So that's going to look different from the athletic trainer's uh, version of what happened. That's going to look different from the whoever, the coach's version of what happened. But, again, at this time, this is all I have to go off of. And at this time, all I can really see, is an emotional version because, again, rightfully so. Somebody hurts your kid, so at the end of the day, like all bets are off the table. So at this point, he was telling me what happened, and, you know, uh, uh, the athletic trainer at the time, Wes was supposed to have said, you know, if he can't walk, drag his ass across the off, across the field. So, you know, when your kid is in this situation, you're just seeing red. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at this time, you know, Coach Durkin is coming down. You know, he's showing up, but I'm the type of guy, I'm an old school guy. I already told you what my background was. You know, I'm a street guy. You know, I was a street guy. I grew up in the 80s. I'm more of an in-your-face, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'm accountability type of guy. So at that point, you know, it was just like, man, you know, like, don't keep coming around me, bro, like with the smug look on your face. So, but we're trying to work through all of these things. So um, that Saturday after the liver transplant, um Brandon, I don't know. You remember Mike Cornwell? He's called Andrew. He played with y'all at Maryland.
3: Oh, Oh me, Andrew. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. I do remember yeah, Mike. Andrew, Cornwell. Yeah. No, nah, I remember Mike. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So Andrew, yeah. So Mike, uh, uh, Dr. Cornwell's Mike's dad, right? And he's like a surgeon or something. Big guy, big yep. shadow over at yeah. Howard hospital. Definitely. So he and I were in, uh, in the room the day after the, uh, the day after the, uh, uh liver transplant. And you know, he was asking me some questions. He said, Marty, um, how long's it been? I'm like, man, it seemed like it had been days. It was only 24 hours. So he said, man, where did they get a liver at so quick? And I'm like, I'm still oblivious to what he's saying. he said. He said, bro, you know, he ain't say bro, but he said, man, yeah. you know how I many people die every year waiting on liver transplants? I'm like, I have no clue. He said over 5,000 people die or waiting on liver transplant. Yeah. Where did they get a liver this quick, right? So, again, now the magnitude, like it's all coming to magnitude of what's going on is really kind of coming at me is presenting itself. Okay. So we went through, um, and I believe I, at that time I stayed in the hospital that weekend with him and I spent the night that Sunday night, you know, they in and out the room all night. So it's impossible to get some rest. But I remember that Monday morning, the nurse that came on duty said, Mr. McNagg, my, my supervisor asked, could you come down to her office like that? I'm like, okay. So when I go down to the nurse's office, the nurse supervisor's office, she was like, look, man, tell them. She said, Mr. McNair, I can't tell you what to do. However, obviously what's going on with your son must be very significant. And I think that you you should cut all of the visits down to just immediate family only, right? Because you got people from, you know, the coaching staff, they trying to come in look at his files and all this type of stuff. So at that time, you know, I just was like, okay, I agree. So at this point, I, you know, reached out to, uh, I think I reached out to Dirk and it was like, look, you know, we just doing a friends of family, immediate family right now. I'll keep you updated. Still really, you know, it was, and for me, it was a very, very challenging to really have that level of emotional intelligence in a sense, right. Or emotional restraint, mm-hmm. because at this time, you know, like I still got friends, you know, that love Jordan. It's like, I got them type of point out friends, you know, point whoever yeah. has something to do with it out. And I'm like, no, 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 you know, we ain't going to do that. We ain't going to do that. Not yet. No, I'm sorry. We ain't going to do that, period. But, you know, really, those were the type of friends that, you know, hey, look, everybody knew Jordan, you know, Mm because I I had a clothing store back in the day, so he used to be in the store with me all the time. So who didn't know him? Every time you saw me, he was with me. So um, when we got to that point, you know, basically, you know, when you're that sick, uh, uh, basically it's what they call the ICU shuffle. And basically, like, when you know, when you're at that level of, of illness, of acute illness, you can't have two bad days. You can have a bad shift, a good shift, but, like, the the, bad, the good shift uh, can only can be something very, very incremental, like, okay, your blood pressure may have regulated on its own. You know, and this is the interesting thing. Like, I had no idea of any of the statistics of all the kids that had died, all the student athletes that had died prior to Jordan. I didn't have an idea of all of the – student athletes that died in ncaa much less high school aau across the nation
0: wow i know we're just getting into the heavy parts of the conversation but we had to pause for the week so don't forget to pick up with us next week as we continue the conversation with mr mcnair and mr isaacs about the death of jordan mcnair as it happened uh he suffered a heat on this doing football practice don't forget to like share subscribe everywhere you listen to this podcast at the underscore top underscore dat on all social media except linkedin where we're top dash dat and the number one that's top dash that one on behalf of the unapologetic at dr donita valentine who would tell you that you are doing this all for nothing if you don't stand for something i'm dr brandon Howling, your uplift athletic trainer telling you that the difference between a bad day and a good day is your outlook change your attitude change your life We'll see you next Tuesday.